Today is Pentecost Sunday, and anybody here ever ever met any Pentecostals? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Okay, good, good, good. Well, they take their name from Pentecost. Pentecost is actually a Jewish feast. I don't know if you knew that. It's called the first fruits, the harvest, the very, very first harvest. Uh, come from two Greek words, the first meaning penta, five. It's, um, it comes from... Uh, the Greek word five, 50, 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover, they would have a minor feast. And the minor feast of Pentecost was where they would bring in the very, very first fruits of um, the, I don't know, winter wheat harvest. I don't know what it would be in the Middle East, but it was some kind of harvest of some kind of grain. And so they would celebrate. Um, I don't think it's unusual that the Jews would have a feast. They seem to find ways of feasting quite often. And uh, 50 days after Passover, everybody goes to Jerusalem, hang around for five weeks or so, have another party. And so you have a lot of people still in Jerusalem from Passover who stayed over for the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost was also a time when they renewed the covenant with God. So they would then they had that whole deal with Moses, Mount Sinai, the giving of the law, where they pledged to be God's people and he pledged to be their God. That whole thing is commemorated then also at uh, Pentecost. I think it's interesting that the Lord would choose this particular feast day to be the birthday of the church universal. The first fruits, as it were. Jesus we're told, is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And the church began, God began harvesting his people from the earth, that first Pentecost. So we have this correlation. What was actual physical festival in ancient Israel becomes this metaphorical event in the life of the church. Interestingly enough, the only... Jewish feast that does not have a New Testament counterpart is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which is the final harvest. I think we'll be celebrating that sometime in the future, maybe the near future, at least in a New Testament church sense. But um, Pentecostals have taken their name from this particular event in church history. Does anybody want to know... Anybody know why Pentecostals would take their name from Pentecost? Anybody? Speaking in tongues, Holy Spirit, earth, wind, and fire. So, mass evangelism, thank you. So, that's... Uh, part of the reason that they have. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at this today. And I just want to say that I'm going to say things that I've never said before it's come in our 10-year history. I'm going to tell you stories most of you have never heard before in 10 years. I have purposely kept these in the back of my mind. I actually felt like God said, don't tell those stories yet. And in the recent months, I felt like God said, okay, Mike, it's time to start telling the rest of the story. Um, if you... This is not a shameless plug for my book, but if you do pick up a copy 
of pure scum, the left out the right brain, the grace of God, recently published by University Press. <laughs> um, sorry. I'm sorry. One of the things you'll notice is, is that I'm a whole lot more charismatic in the book than I am in person. I talk about dreams, I talk about the visions, I talk about voices from God, um, you know, I talk about all that weird stuff, and I never bring it up here. Um, but I believe the whole gospel, I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe that the Holy Spirit came and is still here, and so I kind of want to begin talking about that on this Pentecost Sunday. So we're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight. It's not going to be so much a sermon as me reading scripture and telling stories, just so you know. If you came here for an exegesis, you're not going to get one. All you seminary students, you can go. It's a great sermon to write a paper about how I didn't do big idea preaching. All right. So here we go. Let's go. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Come with the earth and the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they, meaning the disciples of Jesus, maybe 12, maybe 120, maybe some number in between there, we don't know. But those people who believed in Jesus after his resurrection were all together in one place. Now, Jesus had told them to hang around in Jerusalem. He told them to wait, that he was going to send the Holy Spirit And Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit was going to do two things. The Holy Spirit was, one, going to give them power. They would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. And number two, that they, having got that power, would then be able to tell people about Jesus everywhere. Acts chapter 1. You can check it out. So they were all together in one place, too. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, this is before stereo systems. This, I mean, seriously, this is, this is a giant sound of a rushing wind is filling the house where they are. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit shows up, just like Jesus said he would. He shows up visibly in tongues of fire. We've got a lot of Old Testament references for the fire of God. And he shows up audibly like the sound of a rushing wind. We've got Old Testament background for that as well. But it's so loud and perhaps so bright that people from all around are going to come over and take a look. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians. Those are people from, I think, Iran. And then Medes, that would be Iraq. Iraq. 
and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, let me explain that we don't know exactly what happened here to this day. Some, a good portion of scholars and Christians through the centuries would say that these disciples were given the ability to speak in other languages. They were speaking perfect Mede, perfect Parthian, perfect Cretan, whatever. And so you had 12 to 120 people all speaking in various languages to the people who were gathering around listening. Sounds like bedlam to me, but it's possible. That's what the text means. The other possibility rests in verse number 6, where each one heard them speaking in their own language. It could have been that they were speaking in tongues, just syllables that they had no idea what they meant, and that the miracle came in the hearing. So that maybe, let's say, Peter was speaking. And if I was Cretan and you were Cappadocian, we would both hear him speaking in our native languages, even though he's speaking something else. That's a possibility as well. If anybody tells you it's one or the other, they don't know. They weren't there. You can't interrogate or you know, otherwise find out from historical documents. So, some people, however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. I'm going, people I know who are drunk can't even speak correct English. (laughs) So I doubt that was going on. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Now, at some point, the 11, you know, 12 minus 1, 12 minus Judas equals 11. So Peter stands up, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Obviously, they haven't been around here. (laughs) This wasn't, you know, 11th Avenue between Santa Fe and Calumet. But that was a pretty good argument for back then. These men are not drunk as you suppose. There's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, others' translations say lawless men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death. And then Peter launches off into a sermon about the risen Christ. And now he's the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, the son of David who has come to be the Messiah. Amazing sermon. Amazing. My guess is he didn't even prepare. Didn't have notes. Had no idea this was going to happen. We'll pick up in verse 36. He ends like this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, from 120 to 3,000 in one service. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very important verse right there. Verse 38. Remember when Jesus was telling them back in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them and do two things. Number one, they were going to receive power. And number two, they were going to be Jesus' witnesses to everybody. And so here it's happening, right here. Whenever the Holy Spirit does a work of power, the goal of that work of power is to exalt and lift up Jesus Christ. I need to make this crystal clear. The Holy Spirit, whenever he works, the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, that Christians have worshipped for a couple thousand years, his sole purpose is to draw people's attention to Jesus. This is extremely important for you to understand. Because in the last days, people will come with all sorts of power and all sorts of signs and all sorts of wonders, even if they could, to lead those who truly believe in Jesus astray. But you will know them by their fruits, and their fruits will always be a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is where balance lies. You can turn on the television. If they're not talking about Jesus at the end of all the miracles, turn off the program. Now, it's interesting that Peter couples repent 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It seems like it's a package deal. And I know it's a package deal because elsewhere in the Bible, other folks say the same kind of thing. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're worried that you didn't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you came to Christ, stop worrying. You got the Holy Spirit. You could not claim Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit inside of you testifying to that fact in your own soul. Is that clear? This is extremely important as well. Um, There are those precious brothers and sisters that we have in the body of Christ who have got this piece of theology incorrect. And they will say that, oh, well, you could accept Jesus Christ, but have you received the second blessing? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't see it. I don't see it. However, I do see this. I do see the filling of the Spirit on several occasions. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and starts preaching, right? So the Holy Spirit fills him up so he can proclaim Jesus. Well, guess what happens in chapter 4? Same thing. He's filled with the Spirit. What happened between chapter 2 and chapter 4? He leaked. He leaked. Why do we need to be continually filled by the Holy Spirit? It's because we leak. I don't know how else to put it. But God fills us up for specific tasks with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I need the Holy Spirit uh, sometimes just to send out a newsletter. Because it's so hard to sit down and write it. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to talk about this month. I have no idea. I need your help, Lord. I need your help. See, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for that task. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit (laughs) when I come home from a day's work and I realize that my household is in total disarray. You know, kids are fighting, you know, the water... Peter's broken and there's spilling all over the kitchen floor, you know, whatever. You know, you need a filling of the Holy Spirit sometime just to come home. Just to come home. We need to be continually filled. Now, yeah, Mike, but what about the speaking in tongues? I can kind of hear the questions bubbling in the back of your heads. What about the speaking in tongues business? Well, when I was a young Christian, I came to Christ just after high school. And it wasn't too terribly long before I met some Pentecostals. And they invited me to their church. Freaked me out. <laughs> you know, people are like screaming next to me. Some people are falling on the ground. I mean, is this safe? We need a medic. Call the EMTs. I've been to places where folks that are barking like dogs, thinking, 
Are there pets in heaven? I, I don't know what's going on. But it's scary. It was scary. This Pentecostal church freaked me out. And they're telling me that I needed to speak in tongues. This was proof that the Holy Spirit lived inside of me. And if I didn't speak in tongues, then the Holy Spirit didn't reside inside of me. Now, that's not right. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says this. He's talking about different kinds of spiritual gifts. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets? Okay, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is probably what? No, okay. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Are all, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret tongues? No. So, I don't know where they get it, but they tell people this stuff. And it makes you feel like a second-class Christian if you don't speak in tongues. Let me just say, that's wrong. You don't like what I'm saying? There's plenty of other churches where they believe that. You're free to go there. But I digress from my story. So, there, I'll never forget this. So, like, I'm, I'm standing up, sitting down, and there's one guy on one side of me, like this. Like this. One hand on my head, one hand on my shoulder. There's a guy on the other side of me. He's got one hand on my back, one hand on my shoulder, and they're screaming at me. Go ahead, brother, just let it out. Just let it out. Go ahead, just let it out. Let it come, let it come, let it come. Go ahead. Hashulalala, blah, blah. You know, and then they're going, come on, brother, let it out, let it out. I'm going... I'm, I, I'm sitting there with my mouth open. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to give God a head start. Like, I just, oh, go ahead, God. Hit me, hit me, hit me with it, Lord. I mean, literally, my jaw got tired from holding it open. You ever get that? I can't do this. And he's like being the dentist. I can't do this anymore. Nothing. Nothing. They give me some pamphlets, give me some books. I go home and I read them, okay? I'm reading about all these signs and wonders. I'm going, pretty cool. Yes, I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I do everything I can. I'm asking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm reading all these books. And then weird, weird, weirder stuff starts happening to me. I mean, like darkly weird stuff starts happening to me. Let me tell you. These are some of the stories I've never told. I'd wake up in the middle of the night in my room be dark, but I would sense a presence even darker and larger, more powerful than me. I can't see it. I can feel it. I mean, I almost wet the bed. It was so scary. I don't know what this thing is. I've never, I'm not a, even a horror movie kind of guy. It just felt like a demonic presence was in my room. And I just did what I read in the scriptures in the name of Jesus, get out of here. In the name of Jesus, get out. In the name of Jesus, get out. I figured I didn't have a whole lot of faith, so if I said it more often, maybe we'll kind of add up. Just get out. So eventually, this presence, this feeling leaves. Okay, I'm not crazy. I've talked to plenty of other people who've had very similar experiences. I'm going, 
That sucked. I don't want that to happen ever again. It happens again. I'm having these weird dreams, you know. I, wake, I mean, I, I, I can see these demons in my dreams, and they're coming, and they're screaming at me, and I'm, I'm waking up, and I'm scared. And then one other time, I wake up in the middle of the night. This isn't going to sound crazy. But there's these dim lights that are flying around my room. There were like three of them. They were diamond-shaped, and they were pale, like phosphorescent. And I wake up, and I'm looking at these things. I'm going, well, are those tongues of flame? You know, well, I guess if they were a little brighter and you kind of rounded the edges, they, they could be tongues of flame. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me, if they were tongues of flame, dude, they would look like tongues of flame. And you're feeling really, really weird right now, like something's wrong. It's probably a counterfeit, and you're under attack by the dark forces yet again. And so I start praying, in the name of Jesus, get out of here. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. And then these things leave my room. And I remember praying, going, Lord, I am tired of this dark crap plaguing my life. Like, would you please... Like, protect me. Like, why is this happening? And the thoughts that came to my head, no audible voices, just the thought that came to my head was, Mike, you are seeking the gifts more than the giver of the gifts. And in so doing, you've opened yourself up to attack from the evil one. Put your eyes back on Jesus. I went, okay, I can do that. I stopped. Those things stopped. This is just my story. I don't know anybody else who's got a story quite like this. It's probably why I haven't told anybody for 10 years around here. But when we begin to seek the gifts more than the one who gives them, we are going down the wrong road. We are going down the road of every magician every sorcerer, every wizard, every witch who ever lived. And that is idolatry. You understand? All right. So, years go by. I started dating Mary, who became my wife. And one Christmas vacation, I was at my folks' house. She was at her folks' house. And um, she's over at my parents' house fairly late. I wanted to follow her home, make sure she got back okay. She had a beater of a car, and it was really cold, and I didn't even know if the thing would start. So I said, I'll follow you home. Make sure you don't stall out on the way home. And so I'm following her home. It's late at night. It's cold outside. The window's rolled up. And just to keep myself awake and to pass the time, I start singing in the car, which is something I've done since I was a little boy with my dad. But because I was so tired, maybe, I just started singing any syllable that came to my head. Kind of like Frank Sinatra, scat. You know, scooby dooby doo dooby dee wah wah You know, whatever. I wasn't singing Frank Sinatra, but I was just singing a song, and I just sang any syllable that popped in my head. It was kind of fun to try that. I remember thinking, 
as I'm following Mary on the road, I wonder if this is tongues. <laughs> and then I thought, well, God, windows rolled up. Nobody can hear me. If they are, great. If not, fine. I'm just singing. Who cares? End of story. I would continue to do that every now and then, from then on, whenever I felt like it. I would just start singing any syllable that came to my head. It was kind of fun. Made me feel better, too. Fast forward another few years. Mary and I get married. We moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, We worked there for about a year or so. Moved back to Toledo, Ohio, where we were from. And I started getting involved with this one charismatic church. I had a buddy who went there, and all of a sudden, I'm getting involved with this charismatic church. I never thought I'd be in a charismatic church after the experience I had as a young Christian. But these people were sane, you know. They seemed to, to have it together a bit, and they were really, really interested in discipleship, especially for men. It's kind of like a pre-Promise Keepers vibe, if you understand. Promise Keepers in the early days, it was wonderful. Teaching you how to be a man of God. And so one morning, they had a breakfast for men only, just guys in the church, and we had a teaching, you know, after we ate, and then there was some worship. One of the guys brought his guitar, and we started singing, and pretty soon the singing would get down to just kind of a chord progression and humming, and then he would stop, and it was silent. And I'm thinking, I wonder how long we can be silent. But they didn't stay silent. They started praying in tongues, quietly, between them and God. We were all standing in this circle, and I could hear them, and nobody was talking out loud, so to speak. Nobody was taking the floor. It was just private communication with God. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I should do what I do in the car with the windows rolled up. If I do that now, will they all stop and stare at me and then point and go, Those aren't tongues. Who do you think you're trying to kid? That's what I thought was going to happen. But being a risk taker, I thought, I'll give it a try. And so I started. I don't know what I said. You know, I'm not going to try and demonstrate tongues. The closest I can come is a joke that I do where (laughs) I, I, I say the words... She came in a Honda, not a Hyundai. Real fast. She came in a Honda, not Hyundai. (laughs) Kind of sounds like tongues. So I started doing this. Nobody turned and looked at me. Nobody stopped what they were doing. You know, I was part of the gang, you know, all of a sudden. So I go, hmm, I wonder if what I've been doing last time really is tongues. Well, let me explain a little more about tongues by referencing the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. 1 Corinthians, I'm, I'm sorry, no, you were right, you were right. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 1, or verse 1. I was wrong, you were right. Right. 
follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. A bunch of Greeks, right? He's talking about tongues. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, these Greeks, I know it's hard to believe, had taken the whole tongue-speaking thing to an extreme. Who would think the Greeks would be extreme about anything? And so they took pride in how much they could speak in tongues. And they were speaking in tongues all the time, during the service, all the time. It was a three-ring circus. It was disarray. And what he's saying is, you would do better to speak in Greek and build up the people around you. Better to say something in English. He goes on. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be? To you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he or she is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, were there interpretations at Pentecost? Yes, there were. If there's not an interpretation in a situation like that, Paul says, shut up! 
That's what he's saying. Better in church to speak a word of encouragement that people can understand than show off your spirituality by speaking in tongues. I remember back in the charismatic church, I used to lead worship. Finally got to the place where they trusted me enough to lead worship. They regretted it after a while. But for a while I was leading worship. And as a worship leader, you kind of get the gist of how it's supposed to go. Um, You start off with some medium tempo songs, praising God, pick up the pace, let them dance. If they want to dance, bring out the banners. Let's dance in the aisles. Let's have a great time. It's a party. And then, after a while, you slow down the pace, make the songs a little more reflective, and people settle down. They start praying to God individually. Then at some point, you just start a chord progression, C, A minor, D, or whatever, over and over and over again, to give people a chance to sing to God themselves. It's beautiful, honestly, in a lot of ways. People will begin to speak and to sing to God all by themselves in the same key at the same time. And no one's really taking center stage. They're just all praising, singing, thanking God, some in English, some in tongues, and it's kind of a cool thing. The song of the Lord comes forth, you know, things that people never, ever penned before. Those songs are being written right there for God on the spot and then forgotten. And then you would just bring it down for a moment of quiet. Now, moment of quiet is very important in a charismatic worship service because it gives a place for the prophets, those who have the gift of prophecy, like Paul's talking about, to come forth with some kind of word from God. But not for Harvey. Harvey was no prophet. Harvey was this kind of wild-eyed, crazy-haired, full-bearded, strange person. (laughs) And whenever I was leaning, and I would stop playing, waiting for the prophetic words to happen, Harvey took it as his appointed task to start speaking in tongues for everybody to hear. The thing about Harvey's tongues were that they sounded like someone trying to start a lawnmower. You know, that's got carburetor problems. So you're grabbing the pull rope and you're yanking that thing and Harvey would sound like this. I'm I'm standing there going, I'm the worship leader. I don't know what to do. I'm looking at the senior pastor. He's either praying or looking at his shoes. I don't know. I'm up there. I'm going, somebody please have an interpretation. Please, somebody have an interpretation. 
You know, 1 Corinthians 14. Come on, people. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Give someone an interpretation. I'm doing this silently. No interpretation. Senior pastor is still looking at his shoes. Or praying. And so I start the next song. Bugs the hell out of me. But, you know, I'm just the worship leader, and, you know, I don't want to impose my will upon the senior pastor. Um, and so I don't say anything. And then it happens again another time. And, and finally, I, I need to talk to my own shepherd, my own mentor about it. And I think somehow it got back to the senior pastor, or maybe the Holy Spirit was convicting him. I'm hoping that's the case. And so finally, one time, Harvey starts to... And he gets done, and the senior pastor walks up to the microphone and says, does anyone have an interpretation? Because we know from Scripture that when someone speaks a tongue in a church... There ought to be an interpretation. Silence. I'm thinking, yes, Harvey's going to get it. <laughs> Senior pastor says again, is there an interpretation? Nothing. Third time, pastor asks, there ought to be an interpretation according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Does anyone have an interpretation? I'm thinking, oh, yes, yes. Harvey's going to get pulled up by the senior pastor. We'll never hear this again. All of a sudden, some visitor dude who's in the back corner pipes up and says, I've got the interpretation. Going, oh. Silence. The pastor goes, well, what is it? <laughs> The guy says, it's personal. It's personal! Harvey's going to do this every Sunday from now on. Well, he didn't. I don't know what to say about that. This guy was as crazy as Harvey was. I found out later. Maybe the Holy Spirit was doing something between the two of them. But let me say, if you want to speak in tongues at SCUM, you're welcome to do so in your quiet prayer time with God during the worship set, during communion. Please be my guest. Speak in tongues. Edify the spirit person inside of you directly, back and forth, you and God, in words and groanings that are too deep for words. But if you ever, ever do what Harvey did, I will not be nearly as nice as my former senior pastor. I will not. You know, I will either come down on you and say, stop doing this unless there's interpretation. Or I will get on somebody else's case who's got the interpretation and didn't give it. Because I believe that can happen. Because I believe Acts 2. I believe Acts 2. I believe that Harvey's tongue had something to say to this broken missionary who had just left Africa, had lost his marriage, 
His kids hated his guts. And I think he needed to hear something from God that would help him out. And he got something that day at church. Now, let me explain my take on tongues just a bit. I look at tongues, and this is Mike Sayers, by the way, not in the scripture, as divine baby talk. You know how when young parents will bring their one-year-old into the living room and set her on the carpet, or their one-year-old and put him in the high chair, and he starts or she starts googling and gagging, you know, saying all these weird syllables? And I don't know what it is about moms especially, but they know what their kid is saying. Or they know the kid is expressing something that the kid needs. Maybe they need a change of diaper or a drink of milk. Or the kid is, by his babbling, expressing that he or she is very, very tired. You see, parents know how to interpret that thing. And sometimes, just because they're parents, they will interpret it for, your, for the kid's good, no matter what the kid's saying. Okay, well, she needs to go to bed, so we're going to just assume that she's tired right now and put her to bed. I think God does that kind of thing with tongues sometimes. Totally unintelligible to us. And God says, okay, you know what? You're really screwed up in this area, this area, and this area. You have no idea those are areas you're screwed up in. But I'm just going to take the, what you just said in tongues. I'm going to apply it to that area, that area, and that area. And we're going to start working on it because you finally asked me to help you. There you go. I think the most... <laughs> Precious times I have had speaking in tongues is when I am so distraught that I do not know what to pray. I have no idea what to pray. I'm so upset. I can just pray whatever syllables come into my mind and allow the Lord to do whatever he's going to do. I'm totally at the mercy of the Holy Spirit. It is so humbling to pray in a language that doesn't even sound like a language. It's like reverting back to being one year old and trusting your parents to take care of you. That's what it's like. And I think maybe sometimes God wants that to happen. And so God will minister to the deepest parts of me. I will actually, after a prolonged period of praying in tongues, I will not feel as confused as I was when I started. can't explain it to you. I'm just telling you what happens. What I'm trying to tell you is that the Bible is true. The gifts in the Bible are valid. And the gift of tongues is a valid gift. According to the Apostle Paul, he speaks in tongue more than all the Corinthians. And there was a lot of tongue speaking going on in the Corinthian church. They were Greeks off the edge. And Paul is saying, I do this more than all of you. Probably because he needed to. If you had been persecuted as much as the Apostle Paul. You had been looking for any comfort you could from the Holy Spirit. Um, don't try to fake it. If you ask for the gift of tongues, ask for it and then don't worry about it. God will give it to you or not give it to you in his own good time because everyone doesn't get it. Just the way it is. 
But I remember a story. My father-in-law, Joseph Francel, brilliant man, uh, a doctor of science from MIT, uh, spoke five languages, about 185 patents to his credit, was going through a Life in the Spirit seminar through his Catholic church, lifelong Catholic, going through the Life in the Spirit seminar. And so he knew the order of events. He knew the, 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 the meeting where they were going to get people to speak in tongues. Because I guess in this particular Life in the Spirit seminar, um, it was like, we're going to teach you en masse. Like all of you, we're, gonna, we're passing out tongues tonight. Okay, everybody, here we go. Got the Holy Spirit's passed on tongues. We're going to have you all, you know, see if you can speak in tongues. My father-in-law was petrified, decided that if that happened, he was going to start speaking in Czech, his native language, because they wouldn't know Czech. They wouldn't know Italian and French and the other language that he knew. So he isn't talking Czech. So he's talking to, to his daughter, my wife, one time. He's going, Mary Pat, you would not believe what happened to me last night. She goes, what happened, Dad? Well, they said we were all going to speak in tongues, and I told myself I wasn't speaking Czech. So the priest started praying, and then all of a sudden it got really, really hot, like I wanted to take all my clothes off, but I couldn't do that. But I got really, really hot. And then all of a sudden I couldn't help it, but I started just babbling, just babbling. I couldn't even think of any Czech to say at that moment. I just started babbling. And he was surmising that he had received the gift of tongues, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Great. Great. I say that because whether it overtakes you almost by force like I did with my father-in-law, or whether, in, as in my case, it's a conscious decision to just start speaking nonsensical syllables, trusting that somehow God will interpret it. There's room in that whole broad spectrum for you to feel comfortable about the gift of tongues. And someday, who knows, if you're so moved by the Spirit, perhaps you'll speak in tongues, and some person from a faraway land will hear the wonders of God proclaimed in his or her home language. It's a possibility. I want to end by asking quickly if there are any questions you might have about this very, very volatile subject that I brought up tonight about speaking in tongues. Remember, Speaking in tongues or about the infilling of the Holy Spirit will always point to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember that. Okay. Any questions? I'll try my best. Yeah.
Right. It's okay. Yeah. The question was, I mean, I, early on I said that you could either look at the Pentecost phenomenon as a miracle of, of ears, of hearing, or a miracle of tongues speaking in distinct other languages. But then, as I went on the sermon, it seemed I leaned more toward the idea that it was an unintelligible language and more like a, a miracle of, of hearing. You know, probably, Keegan, that would be my take on it, most likely. I think that's the most plausible explanation, but I certainly can't rule out the former. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I know people who have spoken in tongues and then found out later on that they were speaking in a, a viable language, like they just didn't know. They, they were, to them, they were just weird sounds, but in actuality, it was, you know, a language. So, uh, you know, this is not, this is more art than science at the moment. So, um, yeah. Anybody else? Go ahead. Should you try to figure out what language it is, should you use your mind and not just speak in unknown tongues? Um, Amy, I don't think that's necessary, really. I, um, I think primarily if, if tongues is a, uh, a communication between the Holy Spirit, between God and us for the edification of our own selves, or the, you know, uh, then I don't think we've got to worry too much about that. So I don't think I would try to figure it out. I think if God wants you to know you're speaking in you know, perfect Chippewa, he'll let you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't think that's necessary. I think that's kind of a wasted effort. I would just concentrate on, on talking to people and prophesying you know, God's wonders in English. Anybody else? Yeah. Can I define prophecy? Yeah, prophecy is one of two things. Prophecy, biblically, is either foretelling what's going to happen. For example, the prophecies of Daniel that say what's going to happen in the years ahead. Jesus predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. That would be prophecy foretelling. A uh, cute way of remembering is either foretelling or forthtelling, speaking forth the wonders of God as revealed in Scripture. Uh, so prophecy could be uh, what somebody does when they're talking to a friend about the Lord and how he should be exalted. Uh, it could be, you know, some speaking into a brother or sister's life and telling them how they should handle a certain situation based upon the Scripture. It could be a uh, an applying of the Scriptures to their life right now. It doesn't have to be in the future. Yeah. Right. Mhm. Mm right. Mhm. Mm yeah, when tongues is broadcast, when someone takes center stage like that, I think what Paul is saying is got to go into the realm of the prophetic. 
you know, they've got, there's, you know, if this is, you know, prophecy and this is tongues, then that place in the middle where they meet is, is, would be that kind of tongue where you stop and you take charge, you take the floor like an X2 and you speak forward in the tongue and then boom, there's gotta, there's gotta be an interpretation. It's gotta be for the, the building up, the, the leading to Jesus of somebody who can hear and interpret. Yeah, I would. One more. Okay, Jessica. What if there's not a prophecy? What if there's not interpretation? If there's not an interpretation, then one of two things is happening, like I said before. Either the person who has the interpretation is not speaking forth, or the person who is speaking the tongue is grandstanding. Like, so either the person who's speaking the tongue should be quiet and sit down, uh, or the person who has the interpretation should get up and speak. I got to tell you, I, one of the things I'm embarrassed about, Jess, is uh, back in those charismatic church days when somebody would come forth with a tongue like that, uh, I was so embarrassed, so uh, awkward about that silence when you're waiting for the interpretation that I think sometimes I jumped the gun and I wanted so badly to have an interpretation. I think, you know, through my feelings or whatever, I think I made one up. Uh, and um, I feel bad about that to this day. It's kind of like, you know, when you're being prayed for in those kind of churches and they expect you to fall down, be slain in the spirit, how you kind of just go ahead and start leaning, you know, and just make it really easy for them to push you over or something like that. Um, I think in those kind of cases, when it comes to interpretation, we've got to be very, very careful, and you've got to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God has given you an interpretation for that tongue. Like, like it's got to be so heavy in your heart you can barely breathe. So, um, because there's room for abuse there, definitely. Did I answer the question? Is well. If there's no interpretation, I don't think I would call it abuse. If there's no interpretation, I think I may call it an emotional outburst, misinformed, um, you know, great intent, but but no no real substance. And I don't think I would, because I think there's room for people to to learn how to do these and operate these gifts, and we got to give some slack to those folks as they they begin to learn. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that uh, you would impress the truth of Pentecost upon our hearts and that we would be people who earnestly desire all the gifts, especially the higher ones. If you'd like to give us the gift of tongues, Lord, we are open. You can give it to us anytime. Help us to be receptive and obedient. But Lord, as you fill us up with the Holy Spirit, the thing we want most, honestly, is to lift up the name of Jesus with the power that you give us in the Holy Spirit. Let us draw all people unto him. It's in his name we ask these things.